Today's scripture is Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please, forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am, for am I in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Evan's family. Well, good morning. As I said earlier, my name's Marcus, and I'm one of the pastors here. Let me just get my tech ready because some of you guys know I'm pretty challenged when it comes to tech. But that's... Good, morning. good morning. In the book of James, chapter 3, Mike, thank you for bringing up James again. I always stress before I start to preach that God will judge us teachers and preachers more harshly as the word says in the book of James. What I am going to do in the next 30 minutes, I will be judged for uh, more harshly than anyone else. I take that very seriously as I, as I study, as I pray, as I prepare to preach every week. And it's a conviction that I share with many preachers out in the world who are doing a similar thing that I'm doing this morning. Uh, if you were to need a Bible this morning, if you need a Bible, you walked in and you said, oh, I forgot my Bible, or I don't have a Bible, would you like one? The ushers will come down the aisles and hand you one. Um, there's no shame here, obviously. This is God's Word, and we preach from God's Word here. If you need one in Spanish, one's also available to you. So just raise your hand, and the ushers will get you one. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 50 this morning. Uh, that's where we will begin. As the ushers walk back, I'll open us in prayer. Would you bow your heads before him? Heavenly Father, we lay our hearts down before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I pray that you use me uh, to spread the seeds of the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning in the hearts of many who are seated here, Lord. If there is one person in this room who needs to hear about your love and grace, Lord, would you make your word clear to them this morning, O oh God? We thank you. We honor you that we're able to gather and worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Christianity Today magazine, which is one of my favorite magazines, did a survey in 2019 of a thousand sermons that were preached in this country, and they were posted online. And uh, what they found out was the average sermon... <laughs> In the evangelical church, particularly the African-American evangelical church, was 54 minutes. 
on the low end was the Catholic Church were 14 minutes. Don't worry. I'm not going to go 54 minutes. So today, we'll be somewhere right in the middle, probably. I try to keep it between 25 and 30 minutes, and that's where we're going to be this morning. Um, So pick me up in Genesis chapter 50, verse 15 through 21. We're working through a series we're calling Reconciled. The first week, Pastor Dave preached on how we can be reconciled to God. Last week, I talked about and preached on the subject of how we can be reconciled to ourselves. This week, this Sunday, we're talking about how to reconcile with each other. I grew up in a tiny West African country called Liberia. Uh, and in Liberia, you know, schools are not like schools are here, here in the United States. Obviously, they're very different. When I was in the third grade, we lost our teacher. And we got a substitute, like a, you know, a substitute, a long-term substitute. And this guy's name was Mr. Montgomery. Mr. Montgomery was a recent college grad, and he was tall, he was, he was cool, you know, he had the jerry curl thing going on. If you know what a jerry curl is, don't say amen. <laughs> he had a jerry curl, he had gold chain, he had all, you know, he, he was a cool guy, and we loved him. But one of the things that Mr. Montgomery did for us was he shared the exact story that I'm going to share with you today. And I remember from 1987, I think it was, Mr. Montgomery would say, at the end of the day, if you guys get all your work done, I'm going to share a Bible story. And for three or four days, he went through and shared, which I would like to say is my favorite Bible story, the story of Joseph. It's one of the longest stories in the Bible, one of the longest narratives, because it starts in Genesis 37 and goes all the way to Genesis 50. When he told that story, I hung on to his every word. The story has so many different themes, right? There's so many lessons in there. There's a dysfunctional family. There is betrayal. There's violence. There's drama. There's hopes. There's dreams. But there is forgiveness and there's reconciliation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is actually preached in that story I think clearly, if you, if, you, if you sit and read your Bible, my mentor always tells me, read your Bible again for the first time, and you start to see Jesus in the Old Testament. This morning, as we're telling the Advent story, we're, learning, we're looking through the lens of reconciliation as we can find it in the book of Genesis. What is recon- reconciliation, and why should we reconcile? What is reconciliation? The Oxford Dictionary is clear, de- uh, defines reconciliation as a restoration to friendly relations. Joseph's brothers, if you don't know the story, let me recap the story for you. Joseph's brothers, because of jealousy, sold their brother into slavery. He was favored by their father, but Joseph was Jacob's 11th son. His father loved him. The Bible says he favored him because he was the child of his favorite wife, Rachel. Jacob gave Joseph a coat of many colors. In, 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 in Genesis 37, Jacob, the Bible says Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was a son of his old age. He made him a robe of many colors, and his brothers became jealous of him. So they sold him into slavery. I always wondered, maybe you do too, that his brothers sold him into slavery because his dad made him a coat of many colors? It seems pretty harsh, right? But let me just bring you closer to the situation. In the ancient Near East, 
in those days, folks didn't have bank accounts to put their money and their resources in. So when the, the, the patriarch of the family, his outer coat was where everything was. So the coat actually meant a it was a huge deal when your father gave you a coat. He's giving you part of an inheritance, if you will. So as the 11th child, when, when, when Jacob says, hey, here is, I'm making a special coat for you, his brother's, the alarm bells goes off in his brother's head. He's given an inheritance to Joseph. The coat is nice and it has colors, but there is more to it. People don't sell their brothers into slavery because they get a nice coat, right? They sell their brothers into slavery because there's, there's, there's a financial situation there. There's an inheritance situation there. So this is why the brother, sees, the brother says, oh, you're giving him a coat? Does that mean you're giving him a lot more of the inheritance than you will to us? Well, they sell him into slavery. But God's hand is upon Joseph's life. And years later, his brothers come into Egypt in a famine, and Joseph recognizes them. And before long, he tells his brothers who he is. And I think this is one of, one of the most powerful scenes in the Bible, when, 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 when Joseph says, hey, do you guys know who I am? And he invites them, and he forgives them, and they're sitting at the same table and eating. He doesn't do terrible things to them. He chooses not just forgiveness of his brothers, but he goes one step further as God would and reconciles with them. Reconciliation is part of God's work here on earth for us to reconcile. It's part of God's work. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18 to 20 says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. How do we reconcile with others when they continue to sin against us? Because if you read, as you read the narrative, I'm going to read it again, that Mike wrote, his brothers aren't so sure that he is, he's forgiven them. When they come in contact with him, they say this. Pick me up in verse 15. It says, when, Jesus, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Jesus will, uh, Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your, father's, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sins because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph's brothers are at his mercy. And Joseph makes three statements I think we can, we can take home today. Three statements from verses 18 and 19 we're going to go through. Three statements that help us with reconciliation. Joseph says, I am not God. But my actions are rooted in my beliefs about God. His brothers are sitting there thinking, well, if our father is dead and our father was the only link between us and him, what is he going to do now? They're offering themselves, his brothers are, to him and saying, hey, here we are. Do, do with us as you wish. You want to make us slaves? You're slaves. Go ahead and do it. It seems like an opportunity to, for him to punish it seems like a clear opportunity, an equal opportunity for punishment. 
for Joseph to get even. But Joseph says, I won't do as you did me. This is a clear whisper of the gospel here of grace. Joseph's brothers are getting something they do not deserve. They're getting something they don't, they don't deserve. As we say to each other, sometimes we say this, I know, you know that your situation that you're going through right now may be difficult. You said, Marcus, I get it, I need to forgive somebody. But do I really need to go the extra step to reconcile with them, to have a relationship with them? There's a growing intellectual thread in our society, by the way, that pushes back on forgiveness and pushes back on reconciliation. They, that, that thread in society, if you're online, I spend a lot of time online going through reconciliation and forgiveness and things like that, and I, I hear words like reconciliation and forgiveness is archaic. It's actually victim shaming and blaming. Retribution seems to be the end thing. We need to punish. We need to cancel people. Seems satisfying, but the gratification from those brothers and sisters can be short-lived. The noise of unforgiveness is loud, but at the same time, the, the, the noise of, 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 of not punishing people is also very loud. Romans chapter 12 says this, God says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. What does our society say? Here's what our society says. There's a popular blogger that I, I often read. I don't read her so much anymore. She is a commentator when it, comes to, when it comes to forgiveness and reconciliation and things like that. She writes a lot, and one of her articles she wrote in 2018, the title was, excuse my language, To Hell with Forgiveness Culture. I know. She says this, forgiveness is a deeply ingrained religious hangover from Christianity, a mindset that manifests itself in edicts like forgive and forget and turn the other cheek. This only serves to help abusers who can act with impunity because no matter the grave depths of their actions, they can rest in smug assurance that they will be forgiven. Our society has gradually and increasingly embraced retributive justice while simultaneously, simultaneously pleading for leniency and reform. We want to cease being sheep. We want to become wolves. We, want, we don't want to turn the other cheek. We want to return fire. If you're here this morning, you can identify with that. Don't say amen. I say this, brothers and sisters, not using reconciliation flippantly or easily. It's not easy. The Bible says Joseph wept when he stood face to face with his brothers who wanted to get rid of him. In verses 17 and 19, he says this. Joseph says, it's, please forgive me, I'm sorry, 18. He says, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, verse 19, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? His brothers have no protection. They come to him, and they try, they try to sneak in that their father said this. Their father commanded. It's our father commands. Before he died, his dying wish, if you will, was that you would forgive us. Who can say no to that? Our dad said before he died that you would forgive us. 
It's not quite, quite clear, by the way, in the narrative that if, Joseph, if Jacob did say that to his sons. Either way, their appeal is based on their father's mercy. Dad said this before he died, so you should forgive us. But Joseph says this. He says, my mercy is not depending on your, our father. My mercy is dependent on the father. The belief in God. This is, I believe, one of the first stories of sinners actually being forgiven in the Bible. Joseph is saying this, I am not God. I am not the one you should be afraid of. I have forgiven you. In fact, it is because, I, it is because of God that I'm able to do this. I am submitted to God. That's why I'm able to forgive you. This kind of stuff doesn't sell books, by the way. Someone who deserves punishment but gets mercy and grace, our society deems that anticlimactic, right? I don't know if you watch action movies. I used to watch action movies when I was a kid, and it seems like all the action movies always ended with, you know, stuff blowing up in the background. The, the guy who was offended at the beginning of the movie, maybe his family was killed. Now he goes out and gets revenge. He kills everybody, and he walks over with the girl, and there's the, the credits, right? That's the climax we're looking for, but that's not what we find here. That's not what we find here. In order to reconcile, we have to see ourselves differently. Joseph knows something that perhaps his brothers don't know, that reconciliation is supernatural and its impact is generational. Reconciliation is from God. In order for us to reconcile with other people, we have to see other people the way God sees them. Redemption Tucson is not lost on me in this season, in this Advent season, in this Christmas season, the season that we anticipate the coming, the first coming of Jesus Christ, and we're celebrating that some of us do feel the dysfunction in our own families. There is some unreconciled relationships in your families. We feel the estrangement. We feel the relational distance and sometimes the discord that most of us sometimes feel. This season can amplify our lack of strong family bonds. It can reveal some fault lines. Even in our own family, sin can make us realize that the world isn't what it's supposed to be. We have unreconciled relationship with each other. Joseph recognizes the sovereignty of God. Joseph, when he says, I am not God, here is what he's saying, by the way. Let me just, one preacher said this, and he said, he said God is saying that when, when, when God says vengeance is mine, he is saying to us, please, would you please get out of my seat? Because some of us love to sit in God's seat and apply vengeance. God is saying, hey, listen, I know you want to sit there, but it's not your seat. I always get nervous when people ask me, so don't ask me this question. Oh, you can ask me. When people ask me, what is God doing in your life right now? Some of us are quick to respond. I think God's doing this, but uh, most of us, we don't really know what to say. Because the thing is, we can't quite see what God is doing right now. We see it in hindsight. I imagine when Joseph was in prison, when his brothers had sold him into slavery, and he's been falsely accused and thrown into prison, if somebody in his prison Bible study would have asked him, what's God doing in, in, in your life right now? not quite sure. But in hindsight, he sees it. 
Some of us are going through some things right now, and you can't see God's fingerprints anywhere. You can't feel his presence anywhere. In your relationship with other people, you're like, I'm not sure what God is doing right now, but in hindsight, you can see it. As someone who, who, who has forgiven and is working true, true and through and trying to forgive the people who hurt me so deeply, I'm an orphan from war. And I've forgiven those people, and I want to work through reconciliation with them. I, I understand, like, I, I was, for years I thought I was in God's seat, and my, and, my, and my anger and my unforgiveness was justified. And in those days when I'm sitting in a refugee camp, and if someone would have asked me, what is God doing in your life right now? I couldn't tell you. But in hindsight, in hindsight, as a 13-year-old, as I sat confused as to why all these things happening in my life, as a confused 18-year-old and as a 28-year-old wrestling with forgiveness and, and reconciliation, what is God doing in my life now? Some of you guys are asking that question. How can you ask me, Marcus Doe, to reconcile with people that have hurt me so deeply? This piece of scripture is what I lean on for assurance of God's sovereignty in all situations, not just my situation. Joseph says this, he says, I know you guys, my brothers, were trying to disinherit me. Dad wanted to give me this, and you said, no, I'm going to take it from you. Now that dad is dead, we have no home. It's a famine, and now you come. Now I am going to help you, but I'm going to go beyond what you thought. You wanted to disenfranchise me, but I'm going to give you something. And Joseph says something at the end of this passage that's so profound. He says, I'm going to take care of your little ones, showing the generational impact of reconciliation. You tried to take my life and disinherit me, but God has multiplied it more than you could have imagined. Joseph understands that his inheritance is not here on earth, not even close. Whatever his father wanted to give him in that coat of many colors cannot compare to what God is going to give him. God's plans were so much bigger than Joseph or his brothers could have ever imagined. But Joseph doesn't hide his brother's sin. He doesn't hide his sin. He said, what you meant for bad, God's going to mean for good. He acknowledges that their situation is, is, is they're at his mercy. But God, but God. Whenever you see but God in the Bible, slow down and read your Bible again for the first time. Whenever you see but God, he's saying, let me read it for you. Verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That sentence, it shows that, hey, he acknowledges their sin. You have sinned against me. You, you, you meant evil against me, but God turned it around for good, not just for you and me, but for many people who are, who are coming. But God. My goal this morning is not primarily to get you to forgive others. My goal is not to put you in Joseph's seat this morning, but to actually put you in the seats of his brothers. Mm 
the ones who have sinned and at the mercy and at, or, or at the mercy of God. If you can see yourself from that perspective, then when you are in the Joseph seat, it's easier to face reconciliation. Let me say that again. The moral of the story, quote unquote, is not be like Joseph. The moral of the story is to see yourself as Joseph's brothers who have done wrong and are needing forgiveness. And they go to someone, but he doesn't, take, he, doesn't, he doesn't point them to himself. He points them to God. Jesus Christ came down so that we could be reconciled. We are sinners. We humble ourselves in all the things that we've done so that we can be forgiven. When you see yourself in that realm, then you are able to forgive someone else because you see them and God sees them. I tell this story often and I'll tell it again. I was sitting in the barber shop, you know this story, with a lot of soldiers who were, who were killing people when I was a kid in war. They were child soldiers. And I'm back in Liberia in a barber shop in 2010, 20 years after the fact. And a lot of the gentlemen who were killing people during the war, who would have killed me during the war, were sitting in the same barber shop together and I'm about to get a haircut. I'm actually not about to get a haircut. I'm actually going to get all my haircut <laughs> because the barber took three hours <laughs> because he saw that American dollar, but that's another story. Um, we're sitting in the barber shop, and, and, and as soon as they hear my accent, because my accent's changed, obviously, and I start talking, and they ask me, what's your name? And I said, my name's Marcus Doe. Oh, your last name's Doe? How did you survive the war? My dad was the assistant director for the Secret Service of the country, and when the country was being overthrown, my dad, that's how my dad lost his life. And some of these people who were sitting in this room were the ones who, who were killing people like me. 20 years later, we're in the same room. And I'm telling you right there, the chills that came over me because I'm looking in their eyes, and for years, I had thought these young men were so, they were, they were monsters. I imagined them as less than God would have imagined them. But when I sat in that barbershop that day, I'm sweating right now, I can't believe I'm telling you this. When I sat in that barbershop that day, and they started telling me their stories, it, it, was, it, was, it was surreal. Some of them were, they were sharing how many people they'd killed. I'm sitting in the barbershop with them. And they asked me, why'd you come back? And I didn't know what to say. But one of the things I, I remembered is that they wanted mercy. They wanted grace. And I couldn't give it to them. Only God could give it to them. And my hope and my prayer with them that day was that you find forgiveness in God, not just from me. And I became eager to be their friends, and I couldn't understand it. Like, it was something that I, 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 I can't believe I'm telling you this this morning. It's not even in the notes. But I, I found myself wanting to befriend them. I can't understand it. I can't explain it. My goal is not, when I sat in their seat, they were like, we were so young, we did things we wouldn't have done normally. And I, I felt their, their desire. Have you ever felt, have you ever come to the Lord and just, you're just pouring everything out in front of them and saying, Lord, I have sinned and I'm at your mercy? Like they, they were looking for somebody to forgive them. And I wasn't the person. Only God is. So when Joseph's brothers come to him and they say, hey, we will be your slaves. Here, you, we, we've done something. Do it for us. Please change it. He says, but God, you meant it for bad, but God meant it for good. 
the perspective that, that you, 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 you create when you have recognized your own sin has been forgiven. That's when you, your, your Christian maturity starts to show. When you recognize that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, you see other people that way and it changes the way you see God's people. This morning, I want you to walk out of here thinking, I know reconciliation is hard, but it's only possible with God. God is sovereign over the circumstances that you're going through this morning. As you're anticipating Christmas dinner with some family members that you, you know, everybody ain't getting along. And there's some deep hurt and there's some surface hurts. And you're wondering, how can I be in relationship with these people? Not all of it, by the way, is healthy. I will put that guardrail up. Not everybody should be reconciled with. Let me just put that out there. Forgiveness takes one. Reconciliation takes two. For, 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 for you to enter into a reconciliation relationship, the other party has to be, has to be wanting to do it too. Joseph's brothers has to have to submit themselves to the process, right? So don't, don't walk out of here this morning and say, oh, I need to reconcile with everybody. I didn't say that. But reconciliation, my brothers and sisters, is a generational step towards God. It changes the trajectory of a lot of lives when we reconcile. A few years ago, I was, in, I was in a leadership cohort, and we went to San Francisco and got a chance to meet this guy named Dave Evans, and he said something. He wrote the book, Designing Your Life. It's not a Christian book. It's a book about he's a tech guy. He's at Stanford. You know the deal. Um, he said to me, he said, he's a Christian. He said to me, he says, that when Christ says the road to salvation is narrow and few find it, the road is narrow not because of the nature of the road, not because it was designed that way, but because there's so little traffic on the road. Few among us have found that road because it requires humility. Humble yourself and, and, and desire to, to find the road of reconciliation. The road of reconciliation is narrow, not because God made it that way, it's because few people find it. True reconciliation is a narrow road. When someone hurts you, it's difficult to forgive and it's even harder to reconcile because reconciliation, like I said before, it takes two. When you walk out of here this morning, I want you to picture yourself not as Joseph, but as his brothers. This Christmas season, some of us will run into and have dinner with people who, who, who the relational sky between you and them is so cloudy, you don't know where the sun's going to come from. The gospel of Jesus Christ is an invitation to reconciliation. If you're here today and you want to change your generational narrative, you can start. One way you can start is through reconciliation with others. We reconcile with each other because God pursued us and wants to reconcile with us. That's the starting point. God pursued us, and he wants to reconcile with us. Therefore, we're able to reconcile with each other. We echo God's reconciliation in the world. Reconciliation is the work of God that needs to be prayed for and prayed through. Reconciliation is the work of God, brothers and sisters, and it has a generational impact. Would you bow your heads?
Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your peace that surpasses all understanding. Heavenly Father, as we stand here today, there may be hearts and minds in this auditorium who, said, who are saying, man, I need to reconcile with so-and-so. I need help with reconciliation. I even need help with forgiveness. Lord, we will have people here to help, Lord. Don't be ashamed. We all have issues of reconciliation. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will work in the hearts and minds of those who are here. Would you push, for, push us to you and towards each other? In Jesus' name, amen.